This is Running Life and Stuff, the podcast, proving that life is for squeezing. Here's your host, Craig Allen. Hello, that's me, Running Life and Stuff. Welcome to the pod. Hi, Hannah. How are you? It's Anna, but that's fine. <laughs> Do you know what? This is wicked because this is the first podcast. It's a big deal. Um, we're in a studio together. We haven't known each other that long. And I love the fact that we can on air right now in the first podcast, just get the formalities out of the way. I'm Anna. And the good thing with my name, it's the same forwards as it is backwards. Okay. So my parents did me a favour on that one. Oh, that's great. Apologies. That's great. <laughs> so as you could tell everybody... This is just a whirlwind. We've just started this pod. I've literally just met Anna. Hey! <laughs> Everybody listening is thinking, who am I? Well, I'm Craig. You can't spell my name backwards. <laughs> it will be wrong. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm from Derbyshire. I run. Well, I say I run a little bit, but a lot of people say I run a lot. Don't play it down. Well, like, you don't just go out and have a little run around the park. On like a, It's not like a park run, run thing, is it? Well, occasionally I do try and run around the park but no um, about 10,000 times <laughs> in one go well yeah that's it so yeah I do uh, ultra marathons so and anybody that's aware of that ultra marathon is anything above a marathon which is over 26 miles um, I did start just running around the park I'd like to add and we have built up to running ultra marathons but we'll talk about that more later I'm sure when we get into running how much running do you do Anna so I'm going to keep is- getting this right <laughs> See, this is really interesting because we've kind of been like thrown together on this podcast and I feel like it's a bit of a juxtaposition between somebody who's really, really good at running and somebody who really, really isn't. And this is like massively insightful for me because I want to be good at running and it's almost like a goal of mine to find it easy and enjoyable. But quite frankly, I hate it. So... As part of this podcast, I'd like to know why you love it so much. How can you run so far? Because that is just not part of who I am, Craig. I don't like running. I like exercise, but running is horrible. However long this journey takes on this pod, you're going to enjoy running by the end of it. That is for sure. It's not horrible. It's great fun. You can lose yourself wherever you go. It's great fun. So you are going to enjoy running after this pod. I'd (laughs) I'd, I'd like to think so. But what I really want to know is... Most of us start maybe a little bit of running at school, maybe a little bit of cross country, those bleak sort of wintry days where you're forced to go out and run whether you like it or not. Where was the sort of point in your running career so far where you were like, I really enjoy this and I can run and just keep running? Like, because for me, I just can't get my head around that. Can you remember the time where you were just like, I love this and I'm just going to keep running? I ran quite a lot across country. I was one of those that was thrown out in the mud and I was like, I don't want to do it. And he had my little plimsolls on and run around the park as you do and you hide behind the bush and then <laughs> and then run back the other way and throw yourself in the mud and go, yeah, yeah, that was great. But no, I mean, I remember very clearly I'd started my job oh, a good 17, 18 years ago and it was like, they wanted somebody to go and run in a half marathon. And it was like, you know what, Craig, you look fit and healthy. Let's go and run a half marathon. So, yeah, I just went and we ran a half marathon. You know, I had a great, really enjoyed it. I thought, oh, this is amazing. And then it just went on from there, really. Joined a local running club and then just kept progressing. We'll talk more about the journey, but 
I remember the first ultra marathon we did, you know, rather than just going small, we went big. So we were like, yeah, let's go and do the sky running ultra series and run over a volcano in La Palma. And it was just amazing. All you're doing is just putting one foot in front of the other. So you're just losing yourself and just keep moving. I said to somebody the other day, I said, ultra marathon, how do you keep doing that? I said, look, it's like one long buffet. You can just keep eating for as long as you want. You just keep eating. It's just ultimately, it's like going to a buffet where you don't have to leave until you get to the end. So you just keep going. I think that's my problem. I think I've spent too long at the buffet, but just eat it, eating snacks. (laughs) Right, today we've come to the pod, we've got strawberry laces, we've got chocolate biscuits. I mean, you imagine you're going out for six, seven, eight hours and you're just filling your pack up with nutritional food, but also all your favourite snacks. It's great and you can just keep eating them and keep going. Can you like talk to me about numbers in terms of, so I've got an idea of what a half marathon is and I've actually done one of those in the past. I didn't enjoy it. We know that a marathon is like 26.3 miles. Yeah. So ultra marathon, can you explain to me in numbers what that actually means and is distance wise? It's anything over the marathon distance. So anything over the 26 miles distance for marathon. So for example, I've just attempted in August to run 215 miles nonstop across the race across Scotland. Nonstop? Nonstop. You can't sleep, but you have a time limit. The GB ultras who run the race have a time limit when you've got to get there by. But ultimately, you can sleep when you want to. You can eat as long as you hit the time limit and get to the other side. So I got to 140 miles and the weather was horrendous and I got two injuries and I had to stop. But I think I kept going for 54 hours. I had roughly two hours sleep, 54 hours. Oh, my goodness. So what what is the sort of time cap on something like that? How many hours or days do you have to complete something like that? It just depends on the event and the train. So, you know, roughly... 80 90 hours so the time you're out at certain checkpoints so so ultimately they say for example you got four days or five days to do it so the organizers are not there for three or four months for example so (laughs) (laughs) they have to be if i was doing it yeah so it's like race across scotland you've got till next year to do it but no in all seriousness they they set time limits at each checkpoint and a lot of these big ultra marathons that you're going to there's a set criteria to apply to get into the race in some ultramarathons, you can if it's kind of the terrain's fairly easy to go by, etc. Like when I did the 100-mile race um, around Sheward Forest, etc. The time limit wasn't so strict, whereas some of them are quite strict because obviously you're out on mountainous terrain, etc. They do set time limits and, yeah, you are competing against yourself and if the weather closes in, then it's that becomes the next challenge. In terms of sort of entering into one of these, yeah. I don't know, do you call them a race competition do you have to prove yourself to be some kind of athlete or do you have to prove that you've run a certain distance to take on a challenge like this like how does that work yeah some of the races will say you've got to have completed either a mountain ultra or you've got to completed different distances so some of it will have a set criteria you have to achieve before you can enter it and some of them won't have that just depending how difficult or the terrain you're going across or so yeah it is some of them you look at and you go i'd love to do that and but the criteria you can't meet so like for example race across scotland there is a strict criteria that to you know go in that so you've got the relevant experience but but once you enter it was like i remember entering race across scotland i was like yeah brilliant i've got the criteria let's fill the form in and they send you some things back you answer a few questions and then you go and enter it and then it's like 
oh no <laughs> instant regret <laughs> instant regret but something like race across scotland that is is i've talked a lot about that because that is quite fresh in my mind and it was mm. like right okay you can do it without crew because they have supports they have fantastic food at each checkpoint along the journey but then it was like right well to make sure i finish i'm gonna need a crew so i'm like right okay who do i you know who do i ring who wants to stay up for 60 hours, 100 hours with me and drive the length of, you know, breadth of Scotland just to keep the best friend or the friend fed, watered and alive. And it, and that in itself is a challenge. And then obviously you've got your parents and like my mum and my dad, bless them, you know, they're like, like, you want us to stay up for 60 hours and follow you along the Southern Upland Way? And I was like, yeah, that's great, you know. And my friend, you know, with his camper van, I'm like, you know, and there's pictures online and you just think, what am I doing? You know, sleeping in the back of a transit van with a pillar and a bit of fleece on the floor. It's, it's just crazy. And people ask me, did you actually sleep in the van or did you sleep in your friend's camper? I'm like, yeah, but not for long. Like how long? 40 minutes? <laughs> no, I think the maximum I had in one go was about an hour. How? How do you just sleep for an hour like that after you've been absolutely wired like any sort of stuff that I do at the gym which is pretty low-key compared to what you're doing day in day out when I get home I have that sense of like that lovely sort of feeling of I've done something the endorphins are going around but I don't think I'll be able to sleep straight away so how do you shut yourself off and just to take that time do you know it's it's fascinating because that was a question I asked myself is I can sleep pretty much anywhere if somebody said it's time to sleep sleep but you get so tired, you're just so drained and you don't function. There's something, it's quite weird really. You come into the van or the checkpoint and your best friend or your friend's there is taking your trainers off, he's taking your shoes off, he's got your pyjamas ready. So <laughs> you reverted basically to a toddler <laughs> yeah, in this, in this time. Yeah, like a little toddler is there washing your feet, wiping your face and he tucks you in your sleeping bag and he goes, right, sleep. And you do. And you do. I see that part's not as easy when you've got small children because they never just yeah. sleep, do they? Well, literally, he's like shaking you, and then the next thing is dressing you, putting your clothes back on, and that pushes you out the van, and I'll see you in a few hours. It's bizarre. One of my biggest questions is what, like, why? You obviously enjoy it. Yeah. You like the snacks. I love the snacks. I love the snacks. <laughs> Which seems to be a bit of a motivation. Yeah. Some of them are races, so you're competing yeah. against others. But is it more about competing against? yourself are you the type of person do you think that you just like that constant challenge what keeps you going why do you love it so much yeah i think anybody that does any exercise i think the biggest challenge for me and the biggest motivator is is the competitive edge for me but also it's great i get all my clarity of life when i'm running i might go out out there and have the absolute worst day ever 10 minutes i'm that day is gone my head's somewhere else. I'm thinking about where I'm going to on holiday, what life-changing decisions I need to make. Anything that's happened before a race is just gone. I have my best moments of my life out running. I have the light bulb moments, as I call it, and I, I actually make some of the biggest decisions out running as well. Like what? Oh, it's just scary. <laughs> you know, like, I made the decision to turn my life upside down in 2019 after a race. I thought, you know what, it's time to change my life. My marriage wasn't right and it was time to change what I was doing. You know, I've made the decision to do different things in life just out running. And it's amazing, really, because you find that special moment. For me, I do. And also, when you've not had a good day or you've had a great day, the high of racing and the massive edge from racing is just unbelievable because once you've finished the race the competitive edge you're competing against yourself all the time i accept you know i'm yes i'm racing against other competitors 
but you're always trying to better yourself. And when you finish that race, the high is it's just something. Like you can't, you, you just, those that have raced and are listening to the pod and can relate to it, you, you just sit there and you're just like, wow, what have I just done? And you walk into a cafe and you want to tell everybody around you, you know, after after a race, they might not know you, but you're like, oh, wow. And I've just finished this race. And they look at you like, what? You know, you're walking around with your medal on and your T-shirt on. You might be able to have it on a week later, you know, but I don't like the low. <laughs> I must say. Tell me a bit about that. I don't like the low. Well, after two or three days after a race, you know, when you've not slept and you start to get back into the daily life of not, you know, all of a sudden it's like, right, what's next? What's happening? I don't like the big crash. So I always have to have the next big thing. And I say to my coach, I say, we've got to find a race. We need something in the diary to refocus the mind, to pick the mind back up and get training again. Because, yeah, the lows, you just sit there sometimes and you're just looking around going, right, what's happening? What's next? What's going on? And that, I don't like that. But you have to go through it. I have to go through it. But then once you've recovered and done your resting process... I'm not great at not training. Training is a great way of, as I said a moment ago, clarifying and just clearing the head, etc. So when I'm kind of on recovery mode and I'm having my sports massage and cryotherapy and going to the physio and doing all those things and trying to make sure I'm not eating the wrong food, etc. It's like, right, I want to get back training again. So I'm always like, right, what am I doing? Everybody's like, slow down, take it easy, take it easy. I mean, after Race Across Scotland, for example, I could barely walk. And like, I literally, I'm on the phone to my coach going, I don't like this. What can we do? What can we do? And we'd planned a half marathon three weeks after. And he was like, why are we doing a half marathon? You can hardly walk, you're injured. I was like, no, but we need to do something. How broken are you physically and mentally after such sort of like an endurance race like that there will be people listening who can absolutely relate to what you do i would imagine it's quite a small percentage (laughs) who do what you do right yeah absolutely and then there's some people like me who we love exercise but we keep it kind of gym level if you know what i mean so how do you put yourself back together mentally and physically that is the difficult one. I always relate to it from when you've done a park run to an ultra marathon, you have to put yourself back together. Whatever exercise you do, you have to put yourself back together again. What I, I do, some races, you're absolutely wiped, you're broken. You can't, sometimes you can't even walk, talk, do anything for yourself, which is, again, race across Scotland, or even after the first 100-mile race I did, I couldn't even get out of the car. I couldn't even get in the car. And everybody's like saying to you, what are you doing this to yourself for? And I'm like, no, 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 I need to do this. But you're asking your mum and dad to put your jumper on or help you put your shoes on, which is... Like... So there's a lot of, like, reliance on, oh, like, your, your teeth. Yeah. They, they're a big part of yeah. this, right? What you then learn, over the years, you learn self-coping mechanisms. You learn, right, after every race, you have a set routine of what you're going to do to help that recovery process. And then once you've gone through that, you just add a little bit more onto it and then a little bit more onto it. I never used to run the next day, but I physically put my trainers on. I'm like, I'm going. Well, I, it might be a shuffle, <laughs> but I'm going out. I'm doing it. I'm on my way. And I know two days after, I always have a sports mask. Not the day after. I tried that. It hurts too much. Two days after, I'm like, right, we're going to have a sports massage. There's no candles or anything. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a shame. It's like you're walking, you're like, put me back together again. Like, what hurts? Everything hurts. But then, so then you do that, then you go to the physio a week later, my physio looks after me and I go, right, what hurts a bit more? I'm like, well, that hurts, that hurts. And then when you start building yourself back up, you self-MOT yourself, 
oh no, that hip hurts, my shoulder hurts. So then you go to the physio and you're like, right, fix that shoulder, fix this hip, I need to start this. And then you go to yoga and you realise you just can't even put your shoes on still. And then you just go through this self-coping mechanism. Those that are relate to this and that have, even if you've done a park run or go to the gym, you can't sleep after because you're wired. You're like, what's going on? So you imagine you've been awake for 20 odd hours racing or 12 hours racing. You just forget it. You don't sleep. But all of a sudden, the next day, you might just be sat in a restaurant or then you just fall asleep <laughs> you're just like i'm gone so you're really good company after a oh, race. i'm terrible i'm absolutely shocked and then all of a sudden you're not hungry because i always akin it to like when you've been running for so long yeah it's one long buffet but you've just shaken your insides up for like 10 hours 15 hours you just you know it's like you're putting your insides in a washing machine for two days <laughs> so then you just don't want to eat and then all of a sudden anything that's inside you just hoover the lot up you just you just keep hoovering it up what are your like go-to snacks? I know that we had like a conversation because, like, like we said, we don't know each other like that well. But I know <laughs> yeah. that there was—I think it was Race Across Scotland where you had a bit of a diva moment yeah. about the snack that was not available that you were insistent on yeah. making it available. Tell us about that. Yeah, it's funny because you go through these moments where you just want to eat something there, uh, and they're, like, they're going. Craig, we haven't... I'm like, go find it. They're like, we're in the middle of nowhere. Craig, stop shouting at us. I'm like, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just find me this. Craig, well, just have this. That's on your nutrition list. Because what happens is, is you plan it and you give them the nutrition list. Right, I'm having this at this time. And then you come in and you go, no, no, I want that. What are you giving me this for? You know, you just have those cravings of go-to. It's like every morning before I... You know, every day I have porridge with fruit, etc. But after a race, it's like, I don't want porridge. I don't want that. You always want your go-to. And they were, in fact, we were talking about it the other day, you know, my friends, they were like, you proper shouted at us. <laughs> I was like... But the thing is, Craig, what you're omitting from this conversation is that it was a McDonald's. Yeah. And you are on a mountain. Yeah. And like Deliveroo or whatever, Uber Eats, whatever, pretty good service, yeah. probably not on a Scottish I, mountain. I, I was like this, I was like, just get Deliveroo, Craig. There is and no, it's dark. <laughs> there is no Deliveroo. Like, Uber Eats, Craig. We've got no phone seat. Oh, I don't care. <laughs> you have a set criteria of what you can eat and what you can't, and then all of a sudden your cravings. It's just, it's weird what your body tells you to. And some races, you just crave different things. I mean, I remember some races where I wanted jammy dodgers. You know, I don't particularly eat jammy dodgers, but, you know, you just go through these weird cravings of wanting things. How does it work in terms of, like, obviously you have certain things that obviously fuel your body, I only tend to have McDonald's if I've got a hangover. Yeah. That makes me feel better, a bottle of Coke or something like that. When you're racing, are there certain things that you eat because they give you that fuel that you need and you don't need to go like to the bathroom and stop and stuff yeah. like that? Like, I'm talking I'm thinking about like the practicalities <laughs> of, of eating bit, as well. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. I just again like I I can't get my head around that concept. So it, are there certain things you, you eat because it makes your life easier, so to speak. Yeah, do you know what I mean? I've got a nut allergy. So I have to be super careful because at every aid station in a race, there's nuts everywhere. So I have to be very careful. And then more recently, I have to be careful with my gluten intake. So you go to every race, there's loads of starch, pasta and everything flying around. So what you learn again over the years is what are your go-tos? So for example, I've, I you know, I have Huel at some of the aid stations if I've got my crew. I know I can get 250 or 500 calories in from that. Fire pot food, which is hydrated food. I know if I'm racing a, a race where my crew can be, they can give me that. And then you've got your go-tos. Like, I, always, I love strawberry laces. So I, I, I sit there at night before yes. a race 
and I'm tying my strawberry laces together. My friend's like, what the hell are you doing? Strawberry lace for every mile. <laughs> is that your like? Is that how you treat yourself? Yeah, so like literally I've got a zip pocket on my pack and I just keep pulling them out. It's just like, I just keep going. So you do prep on even your strawberry laces before Absolutely. I sit there Fair. and I tie my strawberry lace. Absolutely. And then I've got like my go-to Huel bars and I have like little treats. Like my last race I did was Ritz crackers with treats in the middle. So like, you know, a bit of salt, some nice dry starch. So it's those little things. And then you've got like in your bottle... You have like electrolytes and I use Tailwind roller cola flavoured. We all love roller cola when we were younger, <laughs> didn't we? Is think that like it? a panda pop? Yeah, it's just like a panda pop. I don't actually think it is called roller cola. Sorry, Tailwind Nutrition, but it's their cola <laughs> version of it because it tastes amazing. I try and use a lot of natural gels and natural chews. So Vela Forte, they're all natural chews. And again, they're just great flavour. You can eat them and they don't make you feel nauseous because that's what also can happen. Some races, you might have your one long buffet and just keep going, keep going. Then eventually, you're like, I don't want to eat anymore. And that happened recently on a 100-mile race. There, you could have a support runner running with you. So every time they were going to the van, <laughs> they were putting food in my pack. But I kept telling them, oh, I was like, did you enjoy that? I was like, yeah, it was great. <laughs> but then I got to about 60 miles and I was like, Craig, why are you slurring your words and not feeling great? I was like... I don't know. Well, we've been feeding you. What's wrong with you? And they just stopped me and went, Craig, all the food is in your pack. <laughs> I wasn't feeling great. I just stopped eating. Does that have a massive impact on massive. you? Massive, yeah, because everybody always has an upset stomach. Anybody that doesn't, you know, they say they don't. I'm sure most runners do at certain miles. At any race you're doing, you always have an upset stomach. I try and get it out of the way early. <laughs> In what way? <laughs> I, just, I just try and get it out of the way so I'll make sure I have more coffee or just try and make sure that I yeah. just get it out of the way quick. Then I know <laughs> that's done. So once my upset stomach's done, baby wipes and everything in, in hand, I know then. The ne- <laughs> you love a baby wipe. <laughs> Listen, there's nothing wrong with baby wipes. Flavoured nappy bags as well. I've also learned to take rubber gloves. Well, not rubber gloves, but... <laughs> 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 but disposable gloves with us on a run. We'll leave that. Runners will know what you're on about. Yeah, yeah. but we always need nappy bags. I always take nappy bags, perfume flavoured and gloves. (laughs) Flavoured, don't be eating them. (laughs) That's why you're getting an upset stomach. That's what happens when you get hungry. Once I get that out of the way, you're like, right, okay, my upset stomach's done. What's next? You've got to get in that pain cave. Any race you do, any event, you always end up in that pain cave and I want to embrace that pain cave. I think if you try and prevent getting in the pain cave, it, your pain will last longer. So as soon as I'm in there, I'm like, bring it on, what's next? So I know I've done my upset stomach, and I'm now in the pain cave, but on the 100 mile, my upset stomach started a lot later. And was <laughs> that a problem? Yeah, it was a massive problem, because you're in the middle of Clumber Park with loads of families around. Beautiful park, lovely, <laughs> Beautiful lovely park. birds there, yeah. <laughs> Not much shelter. No, it's it. quite exposed, that park, it, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Not with an upset stomach in the middle of a park when loads of families are around. <laughs> it's a bit... <laughs> That's an education that, that they it? didn't want. Yeah, it was an education. It was education for me as well, but... <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what do you do? Yeah, there's nowhere to go. You know, joking apart, all runners go through it. It doesn't matter how far you're running or what you're doing, etc. It all happens. And, you know, we all have our own methodology of trying to get around it. But once you've got rid of your upset stomach, you kind of know, right, okay, what can we eat now? What can we do? If it happens early, you're fine. If it doesn't, I know it's coming. (laughs) That always plays on the back of my mind. It's one of those things that I just, don't matter how far I run, I know it's going to happen but I'm not sure when, where or how. Half marathons, it's all right. Road marathons, 
you can get rid of it sort of without stopping but anything above that yeah you just can't is that something that you've just got to sort of embrace get out of the way crack on do you remember like the first big race that you did and sort of going through the motions of that happening is there any sort of embarrassment around that or did you speak to other people about it were you aware that that's likely to happen that kind of thing the first time it really happened if i remember rightly was i think i did stafford 20 this was a good few years ago and i was like this is not i got i can't remember how far in i was thinking i've got stomach ache here this is not good and it, it was like right i've really got stomach ache here and i thought well i've been to the bathroom <laughs> what's happening I was like, this is bad. I'm in a housing estate now. This is really bad. <laughs> I'm now running down a dual carriageway. This is bad. You know, you either just got to keep going or just figure out how to deal with it or, or stop. And when you do the 20-mile race, it's kind of one of those distances where you don't really have your pack with you or anything. It was just like, to be honest with you, the last three or four miles, I never run so quick, but I thought if I slow down, it's getting worse. The faster I go, it's getting... So what's the plan? And I went, you know, everybody's like, why hasn't he stopped to the finish line? Literally straight through the finish line. And you're like, where's the bathroom? And that's when I first kind of become aware of what's going on. And then over the years, you learn your pre, you know, your pre-run ritual. And that's why when you see it, all the runners complain, there's never enough toilets at the yeah. start. There's never enough toilets. There's either one toilet or four, you know, portaloos. And, and I never, and this is the thing, portaloos are expensive for all the race organisers. I understand it. But other runners, we need to sort things out. And some of the half marathons now, they do put portaloos out on the course and some of the marathons yeah. they do. That's really interesting because when I did, and you'll hear me mention this a, a lot because it's my only sort of long distance running that I've ever done when I did a half marathon and it was like round Hyde Park in London, they did have really good toilet facilities. Yeah. But I mean, they were really busy. Like you get nervous, anxious, you've eaten a lot, like you've carved up the day before, yeah. haven't you? And stuff like that. So what does your pre-run ritual look like? When do you start it? What does it look like? Yeah, so for most ultramarathons, I'll start it about two hours out. So two hours out, we have porridge, then we have, usually have an espresso, then another espresso to get the toilet problem out of the way. And then usually I'll go for a little jog and then we'll, we'll have some more food. So depending how far we go, it might be a banana, might be a, an energy drink or some chews, etc. And then we have our last toilet stop, then we'll have a little bit more food. I usually have a banana 10 to 15 minutes before I set off. But we always start roughly two hours before. And those that are kin, this, we have this great word, faffing. Honestly, we faff and faff and faff. What are you faffing with? Oh, you unpacking your kit, packing your kit, unpacking your kit. Then you go to kit check. So it's like, right, have I got my spare woolly hat? Have I got my spare gloves? My waterproof trousers? Have I got a first aid kit? Where's my bivy bag? Where's this? The night before, you're unpacking, packing, unpacking. You just do it constantly. And when that first thing's out of the way, you've got your kit check done. Then you can relax a bit more. Then all the other things start again. Right, okay, starts raining or it's cold, it's warm. So it's like jumper off, jumper on, jumper off, do I wear? And you just go through all, and it doesn't matter how experienced you are, you just keep going through this process. And it's funny because after I did Race Across Scotland, I did Worcester Half Marathon. It was great. I was like, no pack, no kit check. I was like, right, I had my porridge. Had my coffee, just tumble and set off. I was like, "This is just great." None of that faff. And that, you know, after the race for that long, it's then washing all your kit, 
repacking all your kit, checking if you got all the kit ready for the next race, and then you go through that process, and it's just mad because then you think, well, I've, you know, you're almost worn out by just checking your kit. It's like in two weeks' time, I'm going out to race in Spain. I've already started packing and unpacking and checking my kit and going. Do you do that because it's a reassurance and it's part of your sort of mental preparation because you want to know that everything, you're, you're covering every eventuality? Because you mentioned like the bivy bag, like what you're doing can be quite dangerous. If, this is the thing I always say to myself, the kit I've got has got to keep me alive because where I'm going is in a remote place or wherever it can be. So it's like, right, okay, I'm, I need to make sure if I've got my spare top in my bag, it's going to keep me warm for a long enough time. My gloves, are they going to keep me warm? So it's something in the back of my mind. We never talk about it, but in the back of our mind, we always, we're like, right, okay. And then people say to me, you're going to be all right? I'm like, yeah, fine, no problem. You know, I kind of, you don't think about where you're going. Talk about race across Scotland. Some of the moors are on. I'm like, I am literally in the middle of nowhere, on my own, in the dark, in conditions I can't see where I'm going. I can't, you know, I'm thinking, right, okay. And I've got every bit of kit on to keep me warm. I was like, this is just crazy, you know. But, yeah, so you can't skimp on your on your kit. How, like, this is going to sound really stupid. How do you know you're going the right way? When you're on a moor in Scotland, like the fog closing in which does happen it's dark visibility is pretty rubbish genuinely how do you know you're going the right way it's a great question so ultimately i've got we've got an app on a phone with the map on it the route we have a gpx file which gives us the route on i've got the route on my watch as well and we've also got an audience survey map as well literally that's what we do some of the courses are way marked but race across scotland yeah you got the southern upland way signs to follow but when you're in the middle of nowhere and the mist is descending down on you, you just you can't see anything. So you're just so reliant on either wrecking the route before. Mm. I was very fortunate because I'd gone out and wrecked the route. So when I was up on, I remember it clear, I was up on this edge and I was like, right, okay, I know I've got to go down. <laughs> Everything was telling me I had to drop down at that point. I was like, there's no way I'm going all the way down there. And, you know, that got me out of that situation. And I had phone signal as well. And I rang one of my crew and I said, right, what I need you to do is I'm putting you back in my pocket on speakerphone. So you watch on the app if I'm going the right direction. I've got it on my watch to see if I'm going the right direction and just tell me to turn left to turn right. You couldn't physically see anything. But some of the races, they were really well waymarked out in Europe and Spain. They're so waymarked, you're brilliant, but you still got to know where you're going, and it always helps if you're wrecking the route. And that's the hardest bit mentally is when you're tired, when you're hungry, once you start getting cold, I think that's the worst thing that can happen because everything else starts to go a bit wayward, as it were. So I suppose in that case, there's a a bit of danger of overexposure, that yeah. kind of thing. What's been like the scariest moment for you? Outrunning. Yeah, the scariest moment for me um, was when we did a race called Hardmoor's 55, the Beast from the East. It made Jeremy Vine on Radio 2 the next morning. And that's the only time me and my good friend who I run with, we've actually talked about what happens if. Because we were going up to Rosemary Topping. We couldn't see anything, complete whiteout. At no point did we feel we're in danger because we knew the marshals and everything were out there. We were being tracked. But we got up there and literally we couldn't even stand up really. The wind was just hammering us and it was like, right, okay, we've got every bit of kit I could possibly have on 
I said, was like, my water bottles were frozen solid. That's how cold it was. So we are like, right, okay. We, at that point, we didn't know we were in the beast from the east. And we actually said, right, what are we going to do if this goes wrong? What's the plan? Because nobody's getting to us up here. You know, what are we going to do? And that is the first time and the last time, hopefully, we've had that conversation. It was like, right, okay, well, if, if this happens, this is what we're going to do. And one of us will go and get help, etc. Did you feel sort of grateful that you were with your mate? Yeah, if I'd have been on my own, I would have gone into survival mode. It's like, right, okay, how do I get out? How do I get off this, you know, off the course and to the main road or something as, as best I can? And we got to, I'm trying to remember where we got to, I think it was Kildale, I'm not sure. But we got to the next checkpoint and they were like, right, they gave us a choice. Do you want to go back out or do you want to wait here? And I remember I put one of my tops in the microwave, I think, to defrost. I can't remember, but it was like, uh, who I was with, Pete said to me, he says, what, what are we doing? I said, well, we've come so far, let's crack on. <laughs> so you went back out? So we went, that was it. I was like, well, I've got here, I'm finishing. In reflection, once we'd left, they'd pause the race and stop the race because it just, it, the weather deteriorated. I think if I remember rightly, it might have took us three or four hours to do 13 miles to the finish. It was it was relentless. And is that kind of unprecedented in that yeah. sort of situation? It was, it was, at no point did I feel I was at, in any danger but mm. i knew i had the kit to look after myself but there was a point in my mind i was going what am i doing why am i here you know but i knew if i got to and this example I talked about earlier was that the ultimate high from finishing was just unbelievable but we didn't know <laughs> i had my phone as like all these messages and we'd just literally gone back to the hotel had a couple of bit and just crashed <laughs> next morning we woke up I have never seen so many WhatsApp and text messages. I was thinking, because we didn't realise it and made news. You know, and the next day it was all these runners had gone to hospital, they got hypothermia, they got, you know, it kind of just travelled with the news and everything. It was like, wow. And then once we'd actually finished the race, got to the hotel, we were like, yeah, it's quite, it's quite serious. This is the weather, isn't it? Literally, I think I just laid in, I took some of my, I just laid there under the duvet and I was like, what have I just done? Where have I been? And literally, you know, you get it, all my face was like wind chaps. I just looked like, <laughs> like the next morning on Monday, I was back at work. People were like, race on Radio 2, what's going on? I was like, yeah. Do you have a deal with like your parents or your family whereby you finish a race and you have to message them within a certain amount of time just to let them know that you're okay? Yeah. I'm very fortunate that my parents try and come and travel to every race. They're like my best crew. <laughs> <laughs> they just they're like well if, you, if, you, if you're going we're going type of thing so they're the best crew but yeah the deal is just let everybody know we're all right and i'm very fortunate my good friend we travel europe we race together quite a lot but if i'm on my own i try and, and sometimes i do forget because i'm in the moment and then the next morning i get a message like where are you are you safe or whatever you know and it's terrible at the minute in the winter i just go out for a training run on my own and i'm like i'll get out on the moors or wherever in Derbyshire. Like, oh yeah i've not told anybody i'm out here have I? you need to change that <laughs> no, if we take one thing from this debut podcast you have to check in with people gotta check in that's not cool listen a note to everybody out there in the winter check in with anybody before you go and when you get home, let them know you're back. And if you can, let them know where you're going. I used to, in fact, I'm going to get back to that. I used to write my number on my arm. I used to put rice and a phone number. It suddenly dawned on me that I used to write my own number. <laughs> my friend said, why have you wrote your phone number on your arm? I was like, yeah, good point, rice. Ring your case of emergency. <laughs> Ring yourself. Ring myself. He's ringing. <laughs> but, yeah, so if anybody could take anything from this pod, and if you never listen again, just take this one little golden nugget. Tell somebody where you're going, 
how long you think you're going out for and make sure you let them know you've got back safely because, um, yeah, we've got to be safe. I'm wondering if we sort of finish off this episode with you telling me how far you've run this week Absolutely. and I'll tell you how far I've run this week. Yeah, I think you should go first because I think <coughs> you're going to run further than me each week because you're going to start running. So from here, you're going to run home. I live in... Right, OK. Let's just... Right. You've got to run home. For the sake of context, we're in we're in Derbyshire. Yeah. We're in a town called Ilkeston. Yeah. And uh, I live in Nottingham. Which is 15 miles away. That's a half-half marathon. No, that's that's a half-marathon, right? Yeah, half-marathon plus two miles. So it's a warm-up and a cool-down, so it's half-marathon. No. <laughs> I, I won't be doing that. In terms of running this week, I haven't run. I've cantered into boots to get a meal deal. Just to start, but it, that's so you've nutri- you've got nutrition ready to run. Yes. So you could start. Oh, I like that. You've turned that into a, a positive. Yeah. So you've got nutrition ready to run. You've yeah. Drank, you've had a cup of tea. You've had some water. Yeah. I've got some. I bought some brilliant biscuits. So we've got biscuits. So you've got biscuits to help you run home. You've got train. You're sorted. You'll feel great when you get home. <laughs> if I get home. <laughs> You'll definitely get home. I'll just write my number on my arm, my own <laughs> yeah. number, on yeah. my own arm, <laughs> just in case I fall into a ditch. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe I'll just give myself up because yeah. it would just be too hard. Okay, so we've established that, like, I haven't run that far. I think I'm going to start out. You are an inspiration. I think what you do is amazing. I'll endeavour to start on the runner at the gym. Lovely view over a busy road so that'll yeah. be delightful won't be it great. on a treadmill tell me how far you've run this week i've run my well, lap yeah 40 yeah 45 miles sure okay <laughs> have you done that so is that a run after work between meetings have you fit that in to your yeah uh, by the way this is what we're not even far into the week no time is not a barrier so i'd look at my diary and i think right okay i could run to work or if I'm going out for food, I can run to the restaurant, I can run to the pub. And anybody that trains or exercises wants to try and fit it in, you won't do it. So just admit you do it. I admit I do it. You know, I'm not... <laughs> so, yeah, so if I've got to fit it in, we just go and we just run. I have, and I've done it once where I've run in between meetings or I've literally said to my friends, well, I'll run there. I'll get changed in the car park, you take my clothes and then we'll have a meal and then if I need to do a long run, I'll run home as well and bring my clothes back. See, this is something that blows my mind and I think it's something we're going to delve into a little bit deeper, running between meetings and also something I really want to touch on is running to dates. (laughs) Yeah. We don't need to go into it right now but what I will say, you're quite into baby wipes, quite into car parks. Suda creme. You are giving too much away. We're right at the end of the first episode. Well done, congratulations. Thank you. Got it out of the way. Let's get into that a bit more because, quite frankly, it's bizarre. <laughs> if you want to tune in to Running Life and stuff next week, all we're going to talk about is perfume, nappy bags, baby wipes, and a few other. We're going to talk about you dating. Well, we need to talk about dating as well, but maybe not running to date. Anyway, I'll leave that thought with everybody. Thanks for listening. That was running life and stuff. Right now, Craig's into the next adventure and he'll be back here for the next episode in two weeks. If you enjoyed the conversation, please use your app to follow or subscribe to this show so you don't miss the next one.